You are listening to the Unapologetically Fueled podcast, where we talk about cultivating food freedom, psychology, gut health, overcoming adversity, hearing inspirational stories, and how to truly live life unapologetically fueled. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I have a very special guest today, and we're going to be talking about some things that a lot of you guys have reached out about and a lot of you guys struggle with. Um, And my guest today is Dr. Paula Cahill. Um, She is a board-certified dermatologist and has worked with lots of different athletes with lots of skin problems and a bunch. uh, She has a lot of great experience. And her other job is being my mother. So um, she is my mother as well as an amazing dermatologist and I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit more Dr. Cahill. Hi Sabrina thank you for having me. Um, the most important thing I do is uh, being your your mother. I'm so amazed by everything you do and your running experience and um, just uh, feel very grateful to be able to call you my daughter. <laughs> my other hat that I wear of course is that I'm a dermatologist as she stated Um, I have my own private practice in Traverse City, Michigan, and in the area in which I live uh, is very conducive to a lot of outdoor activities, running, hiking, biking. So treating the dermatologic manifestations of these activities is something I'm very familiar with. I've been in dermatology since 1994 been out of active practice since 1997. So I definitely have experience from a professional standpoint. Also, as a personal standpoint, I am also very active running, biking, triathlons. And I personally have experienced many of these things that we are going to discuss today. And uh I'm hoping that this will be helpful for people to know why this happens to us and what, importantly, what can I do if this does happen or is there anything preventatively that I can do going into a long run that may circumvent some of these issues? Yeah, great. Thank you for introducing yourself and kind of what we're going to talk about today. And yes, my mom has, um, and Dr. Cahill has a lot of um, her own endurance experience with both herself and uh, my grandpa, who is also an avid triathlete, swimmer, runner, biker. So it's uh, in the genes and we've all experienced these. And I know a lot of you guys have experienced some of these problems. So we're going to be talking about quite a lot of problems today. Um, And uh, many of you have reached out about these, especially I'm very open about some of these problems too, especially uh, some of the GI distress that we're going to discuss. And, you know, I've, I've posted about my, you know, having to poop in the woods and stuff on runs. And we're going to talk about that today and why that might happen. But let's go through some common problems that uh, runners experience and why those happen and then how to fix them. So how come after we run or when we're running, how come some people get like really red face? Like, you know, your cheeks are super, super red after you run. Right. There, there are a couple of reasons for that. It is very common in everyone to be the quote unquote red face runner. And what happens is, is our body starts to, our heart starts to pump harder than it normally does when we run. And that just dilates all the blood vessels that are coming to our skin. And our our, our cheeks are very filled with a lot of blood vessels. So that makes us look like we're sunburnt or we are, um, you know, we have a, a red face. That was a big problem for me because I normally like to run during my lunch break if I have one. So you can imagine coming to the one o'clock appointment with your dermatologist who looks like she's sunburnt. So uh, that is something that that is very common. Um, Also, there is a condition called rosacea. And rosacea is different. That condition is a type of acne that is more kind of the red pussy bumps um, along with a lot of dilated blood vessels within the cheeks already. So you can imagine if you already have some dilated blood vessels due to this condition, you add that extra blood flow to them 
that particular person will get extremely, extremely red and even can cause a rosacea flare where they then may experience more of an outbreak afterwards. So what can you do? Obviously, you don't want to stop running because the benefits of that outweigh the red face. So it's not completely preventable. Um, cooling down as soon as you can is helpful. Drinking cool water, being very conscious about your hydration. This is a recurring uh, thing you'll hear throughout today's discussion is just how important hydration can be, not only for the body, but the skin. And with rosacea, if you know you have rosacea or suspect it, you want to try to attempt to run in the cooler environments. Uh, try to splash water on your face occasionally, even if it's from your water bottle. Uh, if you're on a treadmill, keep a cool cloth or even put some washcloths in the freezer prior to running on your treadmill. That's so helpful. And um, I definitely have experienced that as well. So I personally prefer also I'm sorry if any of you guys hear some uh, little uh, motion in the background. My puppy is uh, playing with her uh, treat maze right now. So <laughs> um, but anyway, no, that's so helpful. And that's so interesting too about the blood vessels and the blood flow, because a lot of people think that blood flow just goes to the legs. Um, but it's really important to with the cheeks. And I'm very happy that you're um, bringing up the topic of hydration as well. And talking about how important that is as far as present or and how important it is with like skin conditions too, and how it can actually prevent some of that redness and some of that discomfort. Um, I personally like keeping that cool washcloth on the treadmill too when I run. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's really good to know. Thank you. And so you said that, yeah. So you said that. Rosé, if, if you suspect you have rosacea and that cooling alone is not helping with some of the little bumps that you get, then it would be time to seek the care of a dermatologist for appropriate treatment. There are, both some over-the-counter products that can be used for patients with rosacea, but then there are also some prescription medications that can be used if necessary. Yeah, that's really good to know. And a really important thing to point out too, if you're um, dealing with any of these to the extent where it is causing like distress, make sure to reach out to a professional about this because this podcast is not a replacement for seeking your own dermatologic care. Just like when I interview um, other dietitians or psychologists or sports medicine professionals, it's not a replacement for individualized care. So always make sure you're reaching out if you deal with any of these to a extent. Um, so when we do, let's, let's say we... Yes, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. So let's say we finish a run and we have red cheeks, but it's not due to rosacea. It's actually due to a sunburn. Um, and that's, you know, when the sun is obviously sunburns come from exposure to the sun. What are things we can do to prevent sunburns when running, especially, you know, if we run in the mornings and people think, oh, it's not that early, but they still end up getting sunburned. Like, how do we prevent all of that? Well, I recommend that people run about uh, between 12 midnight and 4 a.m. I'm totally Perfect. joking. Perfect. Just, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so uh, ideally, if you can have the luxury of timing when you run, running early in the morning or in the evening, trying to avoid between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. would be ideal. Uh, even running before and after that, you're still going to get some sun, but that's really when the peak sun is 10 to four. S using sun protective clothing is really your best bet at minimizing the sun's damaging waves of, of light. And there are some sun protective hats that have actually some flaps that can be Velcroed in and out uh, around the neck for neck protection to a big area. Uh, some big areas that I see patients have problems with skin cancer that are runners are the nose, the ears, the back of the neck. And so seeking a hat that has a wide brim that helps really protect the nose, provide some natural shade. And then the flaps that cover the ears and the sides of the neck and the back of the neck are, are very nice. There are quite a few hats that are specifically geared for the marathoner or the, the long distance runner that are very cool. 
sun sun precautions is an excellent group that company that makes these types of runner specific uh, clothing hats that type of thing very lightweight they breathe well you don't tend to hold in the sweat so just doing some research online finding some different uh Companies that provide this would be very helpful and just an easy way to do it. Coolabar is another, another brand as well. And a lot of these other companies are trying to formulate different ways of protecting yourself physically. Sunglasses. If you can run with sunglasses, that's also a very natural protectant for the eyes. Although I'm not an ophthalmologist, cataracts is a concern in patients that I spend a lot of time outside because it's also sun damage basically to your eyes. So always also remember your scalp. Your scalp gets a lot of sun damage when you're running or outside in general. We don't tend to think about it. So again, the hats are preferable. Plan B or C, I guess, if you can't run in the middle of the night, you know, plan B, you know, run and not the peak times and physically protect, but plan C is using your sun protection, uh, your sunscreens come into play. And you do need to remember to apply that part in your scalp, you know, or, the, or at the very top of your scalp is where we can thin our scalps get thin. Make sure you are really getting that protected. I see a lot of problems with skin cancers developing within patients' parts down the line and just in the entire vertex of the scalp. So looking for sunscreens, there are all sorts of sunscreens out there. What in the world do you choose? A lot of these sunscreens will cause a lot of eye irritation when you're sweating. And that's a big problem. Uh, looking particular in patients that also have acne, you know, putting on a real thick coating of sunscreen can aggravate your acne. It's a problem. I often tell patients that it's really, unfortunately, a matter of trial and error, trying out some different sunscreens. When you're at your dermatologist, see if there's some samples that you can try first, see what works for you and what's less irritating when it does run into your eyes. Generally speaking, using more of a mineral-based sunscreen would be nice. It does need to be more of a broad spectrum. You want to look for that on that label and particularly designed for sports if possible. Sometimes it doesn't say designed for sports on there, but mineral-based, broad spectrum. You want to choose, as far as you remember, an SPF of 30 or greater. It does not need to be higher than a 30. Studies have shown there is no statistically significant difference after a 30. There's a small difference between 15 and 30. The key thing is, however, it does need to be applied 30 minutes before you go outside. It needs time to soak into your skin. And then if you are out for more than two hours or if you're sweating profusely, it ideally should be reapplied on a regular basis. I would love it in the ideal world if my patients could carry a tube of sunscreen while they run, but realistically, you're carrying your water bottle, your phone, your mace, whatever. I, I just don't think it's realistic, but the dermatologist to me is supposed to tell you to carry your sunscreen with you while you're trying to jog and then try to reapply it without poking your eye out. They need um, to make like those, uh, I have those belts that hold all my gels for long runs. They should just like make a little sunscreen patch or something <laughs> or like a sunscreen running belt. <laughs> right. And they do make, um, sticks. Uh, I have in my office, a stick, like more of a, a solid type of, um, of, uh, type of sunscreen that is a little bit easier and less messy to reapply when you're stuck in those types of environments or golfing or fishing, what have you. So just don't forget when you're applying your sunscreen, don't forget your scalp again. Don't forget your ears, big problem for skin cancer. Don't forget your lips. Don't forget your nose. When you have skin cancer on your nose and your ears, it's really hard to put those areas back together again after we remove the this, skin. This the skin cancer. And there are prosthetic noses and ears that can be made for you to glue onto your face if you get skin cancers that result in your nose or ears falling off. But those prosthetics do tend to fall off in the rain. 
So good motivation for using your sunscreens, protecting those areas. The other thing to point out, sunscreens can expire just like everything. So often there is an expiration date printed right on the sunscreen. So expired sunscreen can actually sometimes be worse than no sunscreen at all in the sense that it can flatten out your skin cells. And then once those are flattened out, that skin can penetrate the skin deeper than if it's not flattened out. So you can even get a sunburn with that. So make sure you're checking that expiration date. If you're not sure, there's a couple of ways you can kind of tell. Or a nice good rule of thumb that I tell people to do is every season, every summer, replace that sunscreen. So kind of easy. When we're in Michigan, it's not sunny for very long out of the year. So just every summer, replace that replace that sunscreen. So signs of an ineffective sunscreen are the feeling. So if that sunscreen feels like a little grainy or watery, if it seems like it's separating, kind of like, you know, when you get like yogurt and it's kind of gone bad and you can see all those little clumps and particles, then that's not a good sign. If the color seems to be a different shade than when it was brand new, that's another sign. And smell it. You know, certainly sunscreen does not smell all that wonderful to begin with. It's not supposed to. But if it smells like it's off, just like, you know, when we smell our milk, that type of thing. The other thing is it's super important and that people don't often think about is you really want to avoid extreme temperatures when you're storing your sunscreen. It's wonderful to keep sunscreen in your car, but those cars get really hot. So leaving it out on your dashboard, you get all that intense heat on it and that can make it go bad. So you really wanna avoid, avoid the intense heat. If you're storing it in places, try to store it in a place that's a little bit cooler. You know, um, in say, if you're going to the beach, put it inside your beach bag. Don't put it out on your towel while you're getting some sun. Also extreme coldness, like having it freeze may also make it not be as effective. The extreme temperatures can shorten that life of your sunscreen. You want to ideally store it in a dark place at room temperature. Those are all really, really good tips. Wow. I did not know that sunscreen was that sensitive to temperature and like Wow. I knew that if it was expired, it was actually worse, but yeah, no, those are great tips. And a couple other brands that I want to point out um, that I personally like for sun protection are, I mean, if you're a runner, you know, the gooder sunglasses craze, but seriously, they're the cutest sunglasses ever. And they're designed for running. And a lot of you, I know wear them. Um, and they're my favorite. They're super great. They have their, I mean, they're tested in, uh, you know, by ophthalmologists and dermatologists and they're great. So I love gutter sunglasses and also sprints. The hats are so cute because they have really cute designs on them. They're, um, they're designed for running. So those are a couple other things that I personally love for sun protection. And also the part about the scalp you told, or you talked about is really important too. Cause I, when I just ran my most recent marathon, it was, um, my most recent one, like I've run more, my, I won marathon. Um, a few weeks ago, I started at 715 in the morning. And I said, there's no way I'm going to get burned. You know, I'm finishing probably latest at like 11 or whatever. And I finished at like 1045 ish. And I was like, I'm not going to get burnt. It's only 1045. But that night, my entire scalp was just so red. I remember my aunt looking, she's like, Oh, no, your scalp is so red. And I was like, uh Oh, so it is very important to remember that and even remember that in those earlier hours, if the sun is out, it's going to, it's going to get to you, especially if you're on a sunny course or running for three and a half hours straight. So <laughs> those are, those are really good tips. Thank you. Right, right. Yes. And of course, uh, some, some brands that I am partial to, um, Elta MD makes some really nice um, sunscreens that also have some other elements within them that are helpful with uh, pollution, other kind of free radicals in our environment that I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. And then um, Coastal Dermatology has a wonderful uh, light sunscreen that is uh, very easy to apply and also has one with that has a little bit of a tint to it too, if it looks like if you want to look like you have a little glow. But there are, yes. just, again, it's just trial and error. Yes, that is that is her brand. So I can leave her um, the link to those products below um, and uh, for the products of her dermatology practice. So awesome. 
So another question that I have that I know a lot of people are wondering about, and I noticed too, so sweat is so different between people. And like, you know, I personally, it's, I sweat like a lot of salt. Like I have a lot of salt in my sweat and some people don't sweat a lot. And I, I thought I didn't sweat a lot compared to some people, but I, I sweat a lot more than other people and some people sweat a lot more than me. So what causes those individual differences and why, like, why do some people have more salt in their sweat? Why are some people less salty sweaters? I know people who barely need to take a sip of water on their runs. And then I know people who are drinking like 40 ounces of water on their runs. So what is that? And how can we, how does that affect our skin and stuff? Right. So uh, this, this soaking wet runner, uh, as you said, very, very, it varies. Genetics plays a big role in that. So often you come from a line of sweaty sweaters. Hello. Yes, that's me too. <laughs> that makes sense then. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense. Yes. And some people will even find that their sweat actually stains their clothes, that they can't hold on to a white shirt for more than a couple of wearing. So stock up on the white shirt. So, but that's not as common. However, it may be in your genetics. Wink, wink, uh, uh, Sabrina. So, so why do we sweat? So we sweat because it's our body's natural way of cooling itself. We talked about early on when our heart starts pumping, our blood vessels dilate, we get not only all that extra blood flow and redness, but we get overheated. So, so we sweat by excreting that through our sweat glands, you know, normally found particularly under our arms and our groin, hands, feet, that type of thing. Uh, dogs tend to relieve this overheating by panting. That's how they sweat. So it's our way of, of cooling off. So some people require more cooling off, so to speak, than others. Other people sweat more than others. Marathoners in particular will find that at the end of a run or at the end of any of your long runs, if you let your skin dry, you can actually feel those, like it almost feels like sand on your face, but it's actually little salt crystals. Oh, so, man. so some people, you know, it, you know, some people just, it, it's just the way they are, unfortunately. So it's almost, it's almost a good thing to feel like you've been run like a washcloth by the end of your run, because you're kind of really just a, you're, you're cooling off. So, so as far as the sweat, it can be extremely irritating to the skin, of course. So not only are you super, super wet, but that salt in your, in your sweat shapes that skin. So it scratches it. It creates little tiny micro abrasions in the skin. And that can exacerbate exacerbate the shaping that can occur then by your clothing as well. And I don't know if that's something you want me to talk about now or if you want to touch on a little bit later, the chafing and so forth. Yeah, we can touch on chafing and like its own separate topic. But okay. um, yeah, as far as what can you do then about the sweating? Yeah. What would you like me to go with next? So, so um, if the sweating is does seem to be excessive, then looking for an antiperspirant. Antiperspirants help with decreased sweating. Deodorants help with just deodorizing, making it smell better. So, to make your antiperspirant work the best, it is best for you to apply it to clean underwear or clean um, underarms. So, make sure it's clean. Make sure it's dry. People that are excessive sweaters find that it's almost impossible to not have a sweaty environment in which to apply this antiperspirant. So using even a blow dryer on a cool setting underneath your underarm to make sure it's completely dry before you apply your antiperspirant and then dry it again. It works the best if you apply this at nighttime before you go to bed. Our sweat glands kind of soak that up better at nighttime than it does during the day. So it's kind of counterintuitive to what people normally think about when they're using their antiperspirant. So use it at nighttime. If that doesn't seem to be enough, there are actually some prescription antiperspirants. Uh, some patients even uh, go with having Botox injections under their arms to kind of turn off 
or inhibit that sweating mechanism. There are some, even some oral medications. Now we're talking about things that have more of a side effect profile that can affect the entire body or even in severe cases, there's surgeries or things like ionophoresis. So again, there's, there's quite a realm of things that can be used if necessary, but not without potential side effects. I typically try to encourage my patients to try to get through this with the over-the-counter antiperspirants as much as they can with resorting to more of the prescriptions only if that has been entirely exhausted and if it's really inhibiting or impairing their quality of life. That tends to be more, more common in patients that have an intense problem with sweaty palms, for instance. But things that are over-the-counter that are nice to try are Secret Platinum, is a good brand for that, uh, Mitchum, and uh, Certain Dry. And then, um, but just again, kind of like the sunscreen discussion, just trial and error of finding the one that works the best for you. Awesome advice. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, that's really good to know, especially that we have, it's a lot determined by genetics because normally I'm not a very sweaty person, but when I run or do something like I'm absolutely dripping sweat. So it's, uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, it's great advice. And I remember you told me that advice when I was a kid putting deodorant on at night and I still do it to this day. And I notice it helps a lot and I never stink. So unless I'm ready. Now, just don't forget about the sunscreen part in your scalp that I told you about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. So I do notice when I sweat a lot more too, when I'm running a lot more, I tend to break out too and get acne. So what causes um, acne from running and how can we um, deal with that? I guess just like, I know there's a lot of different treatments for acne, but what are just maybe some of your top treatments that you would recommend? Right, right. So, right. So certainly when you're looking at acne, there's a few different things, but uh, some people are more prone to it. Sometimes it is more of a problem, but just strictly acne, strictly from running can occur. And it, it's caused because there is that sweat as we discussed, and then we combine the sweat and then irritation from the clothing that you're wearing, just strictly that rubbing back and forth really can irritate those pores. And when those pores are irritated, they're trying to fight. So they're trying to reduce more stuff to try to try to defend themselves. When you when that happens, you have your pores getting more inflamed, your follicles get inflamed, you get kind of that red acne, little bumps and pustules. So the irritation from the clothing, sports bras in particular, I see. And then that sweat, you get those little abrasions that we, we briefly discussed. And that allows the sweat and that salt to clog those pores, those channels, and inflame the hair follicles. You Wearing makeup and occlusive sunscreen can also exacerbate the clogging of those pores as well. So it's generally advised that you don't run in makeup. Um, it does tend to run, and then you can look like you're just like a miserable monster by the end of a of a run with running mascara, et cetera. Anyhow, so um, what can you do? Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so what can you do? Number one, try to get out of those sweaty clothes as as soon as you can. So an attempt, ideally, if you could jump on a shower immediately afterwards, that's awesome. Ideally, you want to try to use an acne-based product cleanser or scrub. Neutrogena is one of the leading brands, I feel, as far as the acne, their acne products. So they have, an, they have some very nice acne-type scrubs, just a basic salicylic acid cleanser. CeraVe also makes some really nice products as well. Uh, coastal dermatology uh, does carry we carry a nice clarifying um, as well as a revitalizing cleanser with also some good uh, anti-aging and some um, free radical reduction products within there, grapefruit acids, et cetera, and nutrients uh, that help um, help with acne as well. Using a gentle facial scrub. Um, Neutrogena again makes some nice ones. That helps as well. That helps improve the circulation to your skin. Um, and that helps deliver more oxygen, more nutrients to help um, not only help with cleansing those pores, but also we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it helps 
combat those free radicals. And that's something really important that will deserve special mention uh, separately in a little bit. So minimizing those clogged pores. If cleansing immediately is not a possibility, then try using a salicylic acid or acne-based pad, like Stridex makes some nice ones. And those are very easy to transport. You can put them in a Ziploc baggie and tuck them right in your gym bag. And for easy access, use those. We also carry what I call correction pads, same type of product, but again, it has some other ingredients in there that help with the free radicals and some of the damaging effects we can get from pollution in the environment, et cetera, uh, to help reduce theirs, reduce that as well. We discussed not wearing makeup during exercise, using oil-free sunscreen, as we discussed before, for the acne-prone areas particularly. If these types of things do not help with the acne and it's severe, then it's time to seek a dermatologist for potentially other treatments. Do not pick at your acne. That's one of the biggest problems I see with patients is often, you know, we want things to be perfect. So when we feel a blemish on our skin, we want it to be gone. But picking actually can make your skin produce more acne and it can increase your risk of infection, which is another problem in patients with acne. And then unfortunately it can result in long-term scarring. So really trying to get a handle of that on that. Sometimes it takes asking your friends and family to say, hey, gosh, when you see me picking, tell me to stop because it becomes such an ingrained habit after we do things for a while that we don't even realize we're doing it. We just do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all really, really good advice again. Um, and I also like what you said about the habit thing, because coming from a psychology perspective, habits are very hard to break once they're formed. So um, yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I know that if I um, am extra sweaty after a run, but like don't have time to take a full shower, I'll usually just like use like a Neutrogena wipe pad thing. Um, and it's really helpful. But um, yeah, no, that is all amazing advice. And I know that a lot of us struggle with acne, especially as runners. Um, and so that, yeah, that was that was great. Thank you. So something that I know a lot of us runners deal with, you see it happen in races. There was a video this year um, in the Boston Marathon. One runner went into somebody's yard and pooped their pants all over their yard like a like a dog. And, you know, that happens. It's super normal. Um, but why do we poop ourselves a lot when we run? I personally am a victim of this. And <laughs> I know that a lot of other people experience this and um, either pooping before or after we run, like what happens, what causes that and how can we avoid it? Right. Well, the runner's diarrhea, the runner's trots, it's called as well. Uh, that's a, like you said, very, 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 very common. So just before we before we even enter a race or running in general, sometimes we get a lot of anxiety uh, put around that event, which increases our heart rate. It also does things to our nervous system, which affects our bowels and our bladder, but um, our bowels then just kind of freak out as well. And then you combine that with just jostling those organs around. That's all. There is a lot of intestines in our bodies. And when we're just bouncing those all over the place with running, that's also uh, can, can create that that problem as well. So, and some of it also is related to diet as well. And also, as we kind of briefly discussed earlier, as you said, when you start running, our heart starts pumping and our blood gets shunted from one area to another. Like you said, the legs, the thighs, you know, our legs are really needing a lot of blood flow. They're doing all the work for us. Um, but as it does that, it gets shunted away from other organs. So there's reduced blood flow now going to your digestive tract. So things that you've consumed, all of a sudden your body's saying, hey, I've got, I have no blood flow or, or decreased blood flow to help really absorb the nutrients that I need from this stuff. So it's just going to kind of just filter on through that uh, GI tract and come out sooner rather than later. And there you go, stuck at mile 20, 
going to the bathroom in your pants or running down your legs or what have you, finding a, finding a board of John, what, whatever uh, happens. So, but yes, not uncommon to hear about particularly marathon runners just coming across that finish line with bladder and feces down their legs. So what can you do? So uh, go to the bathroom before you can, whenever you can. And if you are running out and about and you're not really worrying about what kind of time you have, then try to go ahead and take those potty breaks. Choose a route that has some toilets or restaurants along the way that you can stop and go to the bathroom. Try to avoid caffeine right before working out. That can increase that risk of the runner's trots as well. High fiber foods also, as we all know, when we have a lot of fiber, makes us go to the bathroom more. So right before working out, that may not be your best choice. Again, we talk about hydration, trying to keep hydrated, not just that day of the run, because of course, if you don't hydrate yourself and all of a sudden you give your gut a whole bunch of water, that's going to go right through you too. But more, you know, again, just like marathon training, this is a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to hydrating our body and our skin, keeping hydrated every day, try to get at least 64 ounces of water in you daily, but let your body get used to it. Don't do it all at once. So sports drinks, those have a lot of nutrients, a lot of different electrolytes. Slip those, sip those slowly during the long runs. Don't gulp them. Um, that helps to maintain those electrolyte levels. So if you can just kind of gradually sip on those during your, your race, I think a lot of people do carry sports drinks on one side and the water on the other side when you're running. So snacks, foods that are, are binding that may be helpful for you to kind of snack on. Bananas tend to bind you up. That's a very common thing to have before a race. I know personally, bananas my go-to prior to working out uh, food. Plain bagels, um, rice, oatmeal, another real common thing. Pasta, everybody knows about having the pasta before marathons, really trying to carb load beforehand. Those all kind of will help you and be a little bit more binding, less likely to be passing those through quickly. Um, if it persists, and certainly if it seems like it's it's just out of the realm of what you have heard about, then certainly see a doctor to make sure there are not other, not other causes that are not directly related to just running. But certainly just knowing that you're not alone if you do happen to soil your pants during running, you're not alone. This is a very, very common problem. Um, and in that same, you know, kind of similar similar realm of farting, you know, we get uh, the runner's farts is very, very common as well. So, um, so normal running normally just like, well, kind of, there's some muscles that are right around our, our sphincter, right around our anus that help kind of normally control that gas, tries to keep it in there, but normal running normally like kind of flexes that those muscles in a way that unexpectedly just releases gas. So again, very common, very common to be the little farting runner. So that is definitely me. I um, will be on the treadmill sometimes at Planet Fitness and I'll accidentally just, I have noise canceling earphones, but I can feel it. And I'm like, I don't know how loud this is, but the person next to me isn't looking or maybe they are, but <laughs> no, that's, those are great tips. And I also uh, really like the um, bland foods idea and advice. That's why I can't run in the afternoons because if I eat any fruits or vegetables that day before my run, I have, like, I will just poop myself. So in the morning, I always have to go first thing, have something simple carbs first before I work out. And that way I don't have to worry about what I eat for the rest of the day. And so it definitely helps. Um, but that's interesting. Um, about like different, I guess, like how hydration and stuff plays into that as well. Um, and how do you prevent some of the gas? Because I mean, you know, we, we could eat low fiber. I, even when I was carb loading with like the lowest fiber foods that you could, I still was very gassy. So how do you prevent that from running? Yeah. So, so totally preventing it impossible, but, uh, so try, try to avoid any gas causing foods, which you alluded to at least two to three hours before you embark on a run. 
That includes sugar-rich foods, of course. High fiber will make you fart more. <laughs> um, high fiber foods such as fruits, vegetables, bran, beans, of course. We all know beans, beans. The more you, you know, the more you consume beans, the more you will toot. Um, don't rush when you're eating your meals. Slow down, slow down. So rushing when you eat your meals makes you swallow extra air. And that extra air is going to make you fart. It's going to make you burp. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Air in our tummies is not good. And so many people are rushed when we're trying to quickly consume something before a run. Keep well hydrated. Again, the hydration. Dehydration will slow down your bowels and more gas can build up. So as your body's processing food, all this gas is, is, is coming out. So keep well hydrated again. It's a repetitive thing. And then if necessary, take digestive aids like Beano or Beano Meltaway that helps break down those complex carbohydrates um, in gassy foods. Interestingly, a lot of people reach for an antacid like Tom's or something that will not accomplish the same thing that doesn't do anything to relieve gas. It just makes your tummy feel a little bit better. Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. And I also, I do think it's so interesting how, again, going back to hydration, it not only affects your stomach, but it, and stuff, it affects your skin, like we were talking about too, which is cool. And I also like how you incorporated uh, a statement about electrolytes as well and sports drinks, because I I'm, I listened to this great podcast by um, Holly Samuel, who's a sports dietitian, and it was talking about hydration and how you can consume all the water in the world, but you can still be dehydrated if you don't consume enough electrolytes. And so I found out I'm probably, I was probably dehydrated in the electrolyte sense. And so I wasn't consuming enough salt. And so when I started adding more salt to my, um, I guess, drinks and stuff, not drinks, but I'm having more salty stuff, more electrolytes, I feel so much better. And I feel like my skin is a little bit more like full as well. And I just feel more energized when I'm having maybe a couple different sports drinks per day rather than one, even when I'm in lower training, just because it helps. So that's um really, that's really cool how electrolytes even play into all of this. Um, yeah. So now going into some more skin stuff, um, as we know, my, or as some of you may know, if you were listening to this, if you saw my Instagram story, and as Dr. Cahill very much knows, I lost a couple of precious toenails from my most recent marathon. Um, and they were black after I finished the marathon. And then all of a sudden, a week later, they came off. So what causes black toenails? And I know a lot of my friends experience this. And how can we prevent this? Right, right, right. Black toenails, very, very common problem in runners. I call these runner's toes, uh, something we tend to see a lot of and uh, often brings quite a bit of anxiety to the patient. Uh, they often think that perhaps they have melanoma, but when I say to them, you know, are you a runner? Are you a hiker? And 99% uh, of the time, the answer is yes. So basically a black toenail is basically just a big old blister underneath your toenail. So it's, it's blood ruptured underneath there. So think about when we get a blister on our skin, it puffs out and we get a big bubble. So under a toenail, that blister has no place to go. It's stuck under there. So it can't breathe. So it all that blood just kind of ruptures underneath there, creates that black discoloration, and then it causes some separation. Um, takes a, a really long time to heal. Sometimes those black toenails will remain. I often tell my patients, leave it alone. Just leave it alone. I know it's hard, but leave it alone. And that black toenail eventually, most often will grow out. Toenails grow about a millimeter a month. So it takes almost a year for that black toenail to be pushed out. You'll notice some normal nail back by your proximal nail fold, which is your cuticle. You'll notice some normal nail growth there first before it pushes out that black line. But sometimes that, that blister, that damage to the toe nail plate is so severe that you get lifting of your toenail, which is, of course, what you experience, Sabrina. And in that case, some of it may try to fall off, uh, trying to tape it, trying to keep it, keep it, 
kind of together would be ideal, but in some cases that's just as not possible. If it's partially coming off and extremely uncomfortable, then seek the care of a dermatologist or a podiatrist, in which case we can very comfortably or with minimal discomfort uh, go ahead and do a very simple in-office procedure to remove the rest of that nail in a controlled environment and make sure that we do things to minimize chance of infection, et cetera. So what can you do to try to minimize or prevent these other than not running? So uh, I think most people tend to get these black toenails, but wearing the correct shoe size, super important. All runners know this, or at least seasoned runners know that it's often in running shoes, you often have to go up by half a size larger than your street shoes. So going to a place that can fit you for a running shoe or someone who really knows a lot about running shoes and, and what type of running you're doing is extremely important. Trim your toenails regularly. Certainly, I mean, it would go to figure that people who don't take care of their toenails are going to have more of an issue with this as that toenail bonks against the shoe. Try to keep your feet as dry as possible. Ha ha ha. I know that's almost impossible with sweating, but that will really help not only with the black toenail, but also with blisters on your feet in general. So look for socks that are wicking. So wicking socks are certainly a lot more expensive, but they are worth their weight in gold when it comes to your, your feet as a marathon runner. It's just it's so important to wear really good socks. Again, as we discussed, trying to leave your toenail alone because forcing it off may increase your risk of infection. So using an antibiotic ointment after that toenail comes off is very important. That's really good advice. And that's good to know that it's kind of like a blister underneath our toenail. It's not like something to be scared of. I remember the first time I got a black toenail, I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? But it's a totally normal thing. And yeah, that's what happened to mine. It just kind of naturally kind of decreased its connection to my toe and it at one point was just a tiny little string and it kind of fell off so and now it's naturally going growing very well back so it's um it yeah it's definitely frustrating but that's really good advice the antibiotic cream definitely helped I put a lot of like neosporin on it and band-aids and now it's doing great and there's almost like a little almost layer of a whole toenail underneath now which is awesome so it takes uh, time yeah your yeah. your body's going to to continue to hear that uh heal that so neosporin however uh there's a higher risk of uh, allergic reactions with, with neomycin. So just kind of make sure that you're not allergic to the antibiotic ointment. And certainly if a black toenail persists, seek the care of your doctor. Okay, great, great. That's awesome. So what about, okay, this is something that people are um, tend to be embarrassed about, but I mean, it's totally normal. And we see this a lot in like marathons, especially with guys. Why are a lot of the fastest marathon runners and they're like, usually guys coming across the finish line with blood out of their nipples? Like what causes that? And how do you prevent that? I know. First time you see it, you're like, what in the world? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very, very common problem. Again, more commonly in men than women. We, as women, tend to wear sports bras. It helps protect the, the skin. Our nipples are super sensitive. It's super sensitive skin. So, and that's from the shaping of the clothes. As that clo the clothing moves back and forth across that very sensitive skin, it, uh, again, different than the rest of our skin, it's more prone to just because of that irritation, again, the salt from irritating just it causes it to bleed. So, um, so wearing bras will help protect us. It doesn't mean that we're completely off the, off the hook with that. So what can you do? There are things called nip guards. Okay. Um, or even some people use band-aids to protect the nipples. I know myself when I did my, uh, did the Bay Shore 20 years ago, um, wearing band-aids, that was helpful. However, you can get an allergic reaction to the band-aids, but just helping protect those nipples. Uh, looking for your clothes. Don't wear cotton shirts. Men, wear synthetic shirts. Those tend to be less problems with chafing. Avoid sports bras, women, for that are made of cotton as well. And then you can apply a lubricant to those nipples, which will help a little bit too for a protective barrier, make things slide a little bit more. Vaseline, Aquaphor. I love Aquaphor as a lubricant or there's something called Body Glide. Just to apply that very generously. 
before or to the nipples before a run. And I know on the base short too, there were some stations or some people that would be like handing out their Vaseline, you know, for people to reapply as well. And if they do become irritated and bleeding and open, you want to use an antibiotic cream again to help prevent infection. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, it does the same kind of apply to like chafing all over. Um, absolutely. The nipples. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's from the the harsher fabric fabrics, or even not only fabrics but skin rubbing on skin. So particularly like around the underarms, you'll find some chafing in your groin, your bottom, your bottom crack, and then in women who have larger breasts or. Um, just in those areas. So you add not only that rubbing of the fabric or the skin on skin, but then you've got the salt from the the sweat. feels like sandpaper, right? And it causes pain and redness. So, and then this can even result in your gait being a little altered. So you'll see at the end of the marathon, sometimes people that have this occurring in their groin, they're kind of like more running kind of side to side. And then larger and sagging breasts are more prone. We have these ligaments in our breasts called Cooper's ligaments, and those help hold our breasts up, right? So, and they're not the strongest ligaments in the world. And so if you don't wear proper bras or proper support during running, those Cooper's ligaments become weak. We call those Cooper's droopers. So then our breasts tend to sag and and droop. And again, that repetitive intense pounding loosens those Cooper's droopers. And again, that irritation occurs. So again, what can you do? Choose a proper fitting sports bra. So important. There are so many great companies that make those. Wear it with your underwear. Wear tight fitting, non-cotton underwear that wicks. Again, wicks, wicking products are very important. There are synthetic running shorts that have built-in underwear or use spandex compression shorts as well. So those things will all be helpful. And then again, like we talked about with lubricants, applying Aquaphor, Vaseline, Gold Bond Friction Dispense to the groin, the underwear, the feet, under the breasts. Okay. That's really good advice. And I also know um, that like um, it's like, wait, I forgot what the name is, but it's an anti-chafing cream. And a lot of people use, oh, body glide. Duh. I was like totally blanking on it, but a lot of people use body glide too, to help. Um, and I didn't know it's really cool to like learn the science all behind that. So, oh, yeah. cool. that's awesome. Um, so another thing that I know kind of can come up with like some people is feeling almost quote unquote allergic to running or like getting it. Even when I like started running at first, when I wear like leggings, my legs would be so itchy after I run. And I know some people that actually they sneeze for a while after they run and they like cough and stuff. So like, what is that all about? Can somebody really be allergic to running? Um, Is that like a cool thing? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've heard a lot. Oh, I can't run. I'm allergic to running. <laughs> but yeah, there's actually some scientific evidence. You know, there's there's actually a reason for that. So it particularly occurs, just like you said, you go from somebody who's been sedentary like me recovering from my hip surgery, then you start running again. Uh, so when you just begin running, uh, you'll get that itchy, allergic type feeling, particularly you'll notice over your legs and stomach initially. And it can actually feel so severe that you actually want to stop running. So your skin will actually look a little red, blotchy. It might be warm to touch. And it will generally subside after the workout is over. So why does this happen? Again, as we discussed about with the face, the heart begins to race. It pumps harder with running. It's not used to pumping that hard prior to taking up a new sport. Again, sending more blood and oxygen to your muscles and particularly your legs, et cetera. So as those blood vessels are trying to carry the all the nutrients and the oxygen, et cetera, it's going through these little teeny vessels called capillaries. And as those little vessels expand to try to compensate for that increased flow, they actually will irritate the little teensy tiny little nerve endings that are located right next to them. So when those get irritated by that, that's why you itch. So as time goes on, your body adapts to that so you won't be so uncomfortable and doesn't result in as much itching and your body kind of gets used to it. The other thing that occurs naturally as our blood vessels are dilating, et cetera, is there can be a substance called histamine that is released. And histamine uh, does cause itching. It is thought that, the thought is, it's naturally released when you're running to help 
fight your body, fight fatigue. Um, that's just something that's been thought by some. So again, that's also partially responsible for more dilation of the blood vessels. And that's more common in patients that are in people that have some allergies and might be more prone to this allergic, uh, you know, I'm allergic to running. So that being said, I don't want to downplay, there is a very rare, severe reaction to running. Again, extremely unusual, very, very unusual, but it can be associated also with some with hives, extremely rapid heart rate, diarrhea, vomiting, almost loss of consciousness. That is a true kind of almost allergy to running, but again, extremely unusual. But that little mild itching that you occur or that itching around your legs and stomach initially, you know, it, it does not really tend to be a big problem. So what can you do? nothing, you know, often is that often will subside and your body adapts to it with time. Slowly introduce yourself to running. Don't say, gosh, you know, I've taken a couple of years hiatus. I think I'm going to go and run 10 miles. So it, there have been studies showing that using compre compression stockings help with that circulation in your legs. I know that that's something that you have been a big fan of, Sabrina. So that results in less pooling of that blood in your legs. So therefore less chances for that blood to pool and then cause the itching. So that will help with circulation. Again, proper clothing again. So again, gear made of moisture wicking fabrics, less likely to be itchy. Particularly in patients that have or people that have allergies, use use non-allergenic or hypoallergenic laundry detergents such as cheer-free, all-free, draft. If it's severe, eliminate dryer sheets, fabric softeners. Try to keep your skin moisturized just on a general basis. Again, we talked a lot about hydration of the inside. Super important also, just making your skin is being the best place it can be when you run. So using moisturizer, not just like on the day you run, but on a regular basis, because dry skin is going to be more prone to itching in general. And that's going to just be made worse by everything I talked about. So if it does seem to be particularly problematic, there are multiple anti-itch creams such as uh, CeraVe makes a nice anti-itch cream. Sarna lotion. We have a something called Cool Breeze, another anti-itch, you know, more of a cooling uh, type of cream that can be used to help. And there have been some some reports of using Epsom salts, soaking in Epsom salts afterwards can sometimes be helpful. And again, if it's severe, use an antihistamine an hour before running. I do have several patients that experience hives kind of with exercise or with heat. So I'll recommend that you take a non-sedating -anti, non antihistamine such as Zyrtec or uh, uh, one hour prior to running or being in a hot environment. And again, if you have the severe exercise-induced anaphylaxis or allergic reaction, you would stop immediately, seek emergency care. But again, that is extremely unusual. Wow, that is so interesting. I did not know that you actually can have an allergic reaction to running. Like it's like people will always say, oh, I'm allergic to exercise or whatever, but it's like actually true. So that is fascinating. I love the science behind that. Um, yeah, and that's really cool. And I do notice that it does go away with time and stuff and the circulation. Yeah. I do love my calf sleeves, especially when I'm racing hard or like running hard, just because it definitely helps with that circulation. Um, and it even prevents my skin from getting too dry. Cause usually like after like a hard run, I'll get like drier hands just because of that circulation. So it's just like some of those like circulatory, um, mechanisms are really, really important. So that's so cool. Interesting. Um, another common thing or, or how about a couple, a couple more common things that I notice and that I know people deal with are both calluses and athlete's foot. What's the difference between those things and like what causes them and what can we do about them? Yeah. So the, um, the corns and calluses basically is your body trying to protect itself. So things that are getting currently repetitively traumatized over and over again, your body's going to build up like a shield almost. So, and those calluses, corns, those can be so, so painful at times. They really can go up. Get, like, and again, it's just your body's response to repetitive producing thickened extra skin. So what can you do about those? So that with that thickened skin, um, 
is, you know, other than stopping running, you know, which I don't recommend, what you can do for that is like after you take a bath or a shower when your skin's a little bit more moist and a little bit softer, then use a pumice stone, it's called, or a file. There's something that Bed Bath and Beyond carries called a petty egg that helps just kind of get that thickened extra skin off in a safe manner. And then using a really good moisturizer cream um, regularly right after. CeraVe cream is a very nice, again, it's the cream in the big tub is a really good one for this. So using that regularly, there are some prescription uh, creams that can be used to help with decreasing a lot of that dead skin, kind of eat away at that, but that's only used really in severe instances because I found that to be very irritating to skin in some patients as well. And then corn and callus pads are something I highly recommend. So that will help redistribute that pressure around to the pad rather than the actual corn or callus. So a callus is just diffuse, thickened skin. Corns actually will have a little um, central portion that feels like you're stepping on a pebble. It's so uncomfortable. And if you look at it, some people confuse those with warts because they will look circular, but the difference is a wart will have little black polka dots in it and it'll disrupt the skin lines. A corn just will be kind of clear or flesh colored, be very painful when you, you poke on it. So again, paring that down like you would for a callus and then using those corn pads, again, you're redistributing, redistributing the pressure. Some people, particularly runners, because you're squishing those feet into, into running shoes, can have toes that are tightly clenched together. There's not a lot of space between those. So when that becomes severe, you can develop corns very easily and calluses very easily between those toes, rubbing against each other all the time. So again, using those pads to help separate. But in patients who have that very severely, I'd really recommend seeing a podiatrist, a foot specialist to help with perhaps some um, different spacing mechanisms to use between the toes, et cetera, to help with that. Athlete's foot, as you just briefly mentioned, another common problem in runners. And that is that results in a kind of an itchy, very uncomfortable burning type rash that's caused by an overgrowth of fungus. Fungus is something that can cause athlete's foot, uh, it can cause a variety of other things, a uh, fungal infection of the toenails, but fungus loves warm, moist, dark environments. So a runner's shoe being in a runner's foot, oh, very, very, you know, nice place, nice, uh, nice place for fungus to grow. So try to get those shoes and socks off as soon as possible. Get airflow to your feet using just an antifungal spray to your feet occasionally just to kind of an prevent that, try to prevent that from growing. Sometimes using antifungal spray in your shoes as well. Try to keep those feet dry as much as possible. Again, those wicking type of socks. So try to open off, open up your shoes really wide after you're finished running to really help dry your shoes out. Over-the-counter athlete's foot creams are something that are a good place to start. You will, if you experience uh, the fungus infection, it will often be pretty itchy. You'll be, have some scaling noticing, noticeable, sometimes blisters, even little teeny tiny little blistery type rash that's less common than the red scaling. The first place that scaling often occurs is between your toes. So when you notice, you know, certainly you'll see some chafing anyhow, but if that scaling kind of persists after you finish with your running, uh, particularly between your fourth and fifth toe is where fungus loves to hang out. Uh, that can often be early signs of an athlete's foot type of fungal infection. And often it'll have an odor. That's not to say that everybody with stinky feet, because let's face it, all of us get stinky feet <laughs> from time to time, particularly when we're sweating, can have an odor. But if it's like a, just a horrible type of odor, those can all be signs of that. But again, several over-the-counter athlete foot creams are great. The best way to use an athlete's foot cream, um, interestingly, is actually to use it over your entire foot. So not just to the areas, but there have been some studies showing that that works better than just spot applying. So from the ankle all the way down in between all those toes, very important to use between the toes and the tops of your toenails. If it persists or it's not clearing up, then it would be time to seek an appointment with your regular primary care provider, or if it's uh, severe with a dermatologist or a podiatrist. 
Wow, that's all so interesting. I didn't know that there were so many differences between like calluses and warts and everything and corns. And uh, wow, there's so much science that goes behind that. Well, thank you for all of that great advice. So today we covered a lot of very, very pertinent problems to runners. And um, you really offered some fantastic advice and some fantastic sciencey explanations. I know a lot of my listeners love the science behind it, which I love as a PhD student, obviously a science nerd. Um, so this is, was also interesting. Yeah, nerd. Um, this is also interesting and just so great. And thank you again for offering all your advice and everything. And I will um, leave a link to her products down below as well. Um, so you can purchase those, some of her sunscreens and creams that she mentioned in this episode. Um, thank you again, Dr. Cahill, for uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really, really a pleasure. And I feel very blessed again to your mother also as well as a dermatologist. And again, with those products, uh, try some over-the-counters when you can or samples. Uh, there are many great products out there. It's just a matter of trial and error. So whatever, whatever suits you. Absolutely. And just as a last reminder, if any of these things apply to you, it's best to seek out medical per help from a uh, provider of yourself because this is not a replacement for individualized care, but hopefully can help some solve some of your questions that you may have about these problems.